Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Talos Takes. I'm your host today, Nick Biasini. Today, I am joined by one of our threat researchers, Aliza Johnson. Aliza, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Nick. So uh, we just recently published this week our final installment in the year in review. Uh, this time we focus specifically on the ransomware landscape and a bit on commodity loaders as well. Uh, so let's start by talking a bit about the ransomware side of the house. There are a huge amount of ransomware cartels that are out there, and I know we track a pretty good amount of them. Um, are there any that kind of stood out from the research and maybe spend a little time talking about why they stood out? Sure. Um, so the year in review does call out some ransomware groups that were more active in 2022. Uh, we have Lockbit, for example, that we assess was the most active ransomware group this year since it accounted for over 20% of the total number of dark web victim posts that we monitored. But it's important to point out that in the past year, we noticed a shift away from just a few siloed ransomware groups that dominate the threat landscape. Instead, we found ourselves tracking almost 20 different ransomware groups. This is likely because ransomware is becoming more accessible to cyber criminals via sales on dark web forums. We've seen an influx of new sophisticated malware distributed at an affordable cost that is also user-friendly and caters to cyber actors that are not highly skilled. Making ransomware more accessible has also made the landscape more dynamic. Like I said, new and less experienced individuals can enter the scene, and it also allows cyber criminals to be affiliated with different types of malware depending on which ones they purchase. So as I said, that's why this year it's a little bit harder than previous years to point out just a few significant ransomware groups to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And I know some of them, if they feel the law enforcement attention coming their way, they'll quickly shut down and rebrand as something else. So it's always whack-a-mole with these groups generally. So I was fascinated by the research on how the war in Ukraine had kind of an unexpected impact on the ransomware landscape. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, the conflict in Ukraine shook up the ransomware landscape because many groups publicly declared support for either Russia and Ukraine, which is something that security researchers didn't necessarily expect. Um, as you can imagine, this caused a lot of conflict both in between different groups, but also internal problems in certain groups that had both Ukrainian and Russian members. Uh, just to give one example, one of the most active ransomware groups at the time, which was Conti, um, was also one of the most vocal groups and openly warned that they would launch a cyber attack on anyone who didn't support the Russian government's invasion of Ukraine. As a result, an individual with ties to Conti leaked information about the group, including the malware source code and internal chats in between affiliates. Um, as the war in Ukraine progressed, we saw some groups dissolve and new groups form in support of either Russia or Ukraine. Um, but security researchers suspect that some of the new groups, as you mentioned, are actually rebranded versions of old ones. Going back to the Conti example, the group officially shut down after its information was leaked. But then a few months later, a new group named Black Basta emerged, whose operations were noticeably similar to Conti's. So I think it's safe to say that the ransomware threat landscape is much more dynamic now due to the war in Ukraine. Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting to see how that impact, uh, what impact that had. I remember the Conti leaks and all those docs. It was definitely big news. Pivoting over a little bit to the commodity loaders side, uh, can you talk a little bit about what we mean when we say a loader? Sure. So there's two terms here I'd like to define. First, we have commodity malware, which is malware that's widely available for purchase or free download. 
that's not customized and can be used by a wide range of threat actors. Um, so a commodity loader is a commodity malware that is specifically used to establish communication between the attacker and a compromised system. It typically represents the first stage of a compromise, and the primary goal is to download and execute additional payloads from the attacker-controlled server onto the compromised system without detection. So commodity loaders are really popular among cyber criminals because they're easily accessible and many are user-friendly, um, like I said earlier, for even criminals without much experience, yet there are also powerful tools that can facilitate a wide range of follow-on malicious activity. Absolutely. Thank you for the clarification on commodity. Always forget about calling that out, so that's a good clarification. I know that the loader landscape is pretty crowded, as you can imagine, with that type of capability. Um, what are the, some of the bigger players that we saw in that space? The commodity loaders we chose to feature in Talos's urine review were Quackbot, Iced ID, Emotet, and Trickbot, mainly because we really wanted to have this report reflect unique Talos data, and these were the loaders we most commonly saw in our telemetry. But also these four are important to highlight because they're well-established malware among cyber criminals on a global scale. By that I mean they've been around for years and remain very popular in spite of several setbacks. Um, I think Emotet's a great example of this. In early 2021, there was a massive international law enforcement effort to disrupt Emotet that effectively dismantled the botnet. Uh, this only lasted for actually about 10 months because in November 2021, Emotet reemerged began rebuilding its botnet, and is still an active threat today. These four are also important to highlight because they're very adaptable, meaning they have features that allow criminals to use them for a wide range of malicious activity instead of just a single function for a specific target. For example, they could be used alongside many other malware families, can facilitate different parts of the attack lifecycle, like lateral movement or privilege escalation and can access a wide range of data like credentials stored in browsers or emails. Absolutely. I never thought I would miss the day when Imitet was a banking Trojan, but now it does a lot more damage. So you mentioned before, uh, like Conti voluntarily taking themselves down. That's not the only way that we see these types of groups impacted. Um, we see things like law enforcement takedowns. And I know in the last year, we've seen impacts both on the ransomware and on the loader side of the house. Can you talk a little bit about what we've seen and what that kind of means? Yeah, the United States has really undergone this whole of government approach to countering the ransomware threat that's included initiatives enacted by departments of treasury, justice, state, and other agencies to disrupt their ability to operate. This crackdown also coincides with a similar targeted effort by global law enforcement and private industry. While this has certainly made it more challenging for some malware families, it's also like Emotet, um, it's also helped others fill the void that those larger malware families have left. When Emotet was down for approximately 10 months, um, during this time, other malware filled the void by becoming a lot more popular, such as Quackbot and Iced ID. And in fact, Quackbot was the number one commodity loader we observed in our telemetry throughout 2022. Yeah, I know Quackbot's out there a lot. One of the other things that we devote some time to in the in this section of the report is talking a bit about low bins. They're generally a really big part of the landscape, but can you talk about what role they play in the loader landscape as well? Yep. Um, so to quickly define low bins, this stands for living off the land binaries. 
These are non-malicious binaries that are local to the operating system um, and used by organizations to conduct legitimate administrative functions. They're really attractive for actors to exploit because if a security researcher looks at the activity, it can appear to be, like I said, legitimate functions and not necessarily an adversary trying to drop malware, etc. Um, consistently through our 2022, we've seen threat actors use low bins to facilitate different phases of the attack lifecycle. For example, we have PS Exec. It's a common low bin we've seen. It's used to execute PowerShell commands because it can be used to remotely execute programs or processes using PowerShell. Use of low bins isn't limited to one type of malware. We've seen them used with ransomware like Black Basta, worms like Raspberry Robin, and commodity loaders like Quackbot. And we go into more detail of each of those types of malware in the report. We also assess that as the security community continues to publish playbooks and guidance to help track and detect these types of dual-use tools like low bins that are used both for legitimate activity and malicious activity, attackers will likely feel compelled to continue adapting and updating their TTPs to thwart security analysts. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I always like to remember is every time an adversary downloads a tool, it's an extra opportunity for us to detect them as defenders. So that's one of the reasons why low bins are so popular. Do you have any advice generally for defenders either related to ransomware or to loaders overall? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So phishing and vulnerability exploitation are two major ways adversaries gain initial access. Um, For phishing, we recommend exercising caution when clicking on links and attachments. But of course, there's always human error. So we also recommend implementing email security solutions that can detect and block suspicious emails before they reach the user's inbox. And of course, for vulnerability exploitation, updating and patching software is key. In the event of a compromise, early detection can really help with remediation. So it's useful to monitor for suspicious activity, for example, unusual usage of living off the land binaries, command and control traffic that could indicate a device is communicating with an adversary controlled server, things of that nature. Um, And then finally, in the event of a ransomware attack, We recommend maintaining a backup of all your data. So it's less likely that you will be coerced into paying a ransom to retrieve your data if that occurs. Absolutely. Phishing is one of the ones that always gets forgotten. I can't tell people how many times I see incident response engagements where the initial access was nothing more than a phishing attempt. Well, thank you, Aliza, for joining us today and for giving us some insight on the report. Please tune in later for more episodes of Talos Takes, where we talk about malware threats that are top of mind for us. Thank you. Thanks so much.